Praise God. First time I've been asked to do an Easter service, and it's a privilege because of what Easter means to believers. It's just as important as what Christmas means to the believers. What a wonderful fulfillment. You know, Jesus says that there are many in past times have longed to see what you see. We're not looking forward to what has happened and what we're talking about now, but we're looking back on an experience that has changed our destiny. They were looking forward. They were looking and straining because it wasn't revealed in full what God was exactly trying to do. But God spoke in types and shadows and pictures and images. That's how he communicated with those of old. And one of those types and shadows and pictures, man, is the lamb. The lamb that sin illustrated so wonderfully and so perfect that you want to hear it again and again and again. Because this is absolutely amazing. I was speaking to a Muslim on Friday and I says, I'm speaking on Sunday. I'm a, you know, he knows I'm a Christian. I share this with Sid and he says, I'm a pure Muslim. I says, I'm a pure Christian. I said, but we're going to talk. What he was saying is, I don't believe what you believe. I'm totally Islamic. I'm a Muslim, I believe in Islam. Thank God that we haven't got to strain at being accepted. Because the old law and the testaments, this is what it was about. It was straining to be accepted. We don't come to God with the old dead letter of the law. This is what Hebrews says. But before I get there, early Sunday morning. <laughs> Woo! Early Sunday morning. Did you rise up early Sunday morning? Did you rise up like Mary Magdalene? She rose up early Sunday morning because she couldn't sleep. She waited for the first crack of dawn and she wanted to get there because she wanted to prepare the body of her Lord and Saviour. She loved him. She loved him with a passion. She loved him even to the point where physically there was a problem. There was a stone in the way. And she wasn't even thinking about the stone. She was thinking, I've got to get near Jesus. I've got to get where he is. For where he is, that's where my peace and my heart and my whole life is. Because he has forgiven me. And she knew what it was to be forgiven. She knew what it was to have Jesus call her name Mary and to embrace her. She knew what it was when he laughed as only Jesus could laugh. She knew what it was when Jesus says something that touched her heart that only Jesus could do. That's why she rose up early Sunday morning. That's why you're here early Sunday morning because 
You have tasted and you know what it is to be touched by Jesus. To know he's touching your life. To know what it is to be transformed. To know what it is to have him call your name, Tracy, Stuart, Selena, Dot, and so forth. John. When he calls your name, there's no other voice in all creation like it. But you feel better than if you won the lottery. He couldn't even compare with this. And this is what Mary wanted. She knew he was dead, but she wanted to pay respect to his body because she loved him. Early on the first day of the week, this is from John 20, starting at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Sorry, I apologise. You wasn't even waiting for the door, Mary. While it was still dark, she couldn't even wait. She couldn't even wait for the door. She had to get there. While it was still dark, Mary Madeline went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon and Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved and says they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb they started running both of them were running but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there but he did not go in then Simon Peter, who was behind, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial clothes that, that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside and saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Here we go. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying and she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb. And she, and she saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at his foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she says, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realise that it was Jesus. Woman, he says, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she says, Sir, if you have carried him away, 
Tell me where you were putting and I will get him. Jesus says to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried in Aramaic, Rabbana, which means teacher. Jesus says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to my father. Go ahead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. Hallelujah. Praise God for the scriptures. What a picture. Imagine it. Mary running there, wanting to go to the tomb and finding it, the stone had rolled away. But you can sense in her voice the urgency, even more when the body was taken. How desperate. Even to the point he says, Tell me where he is and I'll go and get him. How's she going to carry that body? But the thing that touched me or spoke to me when Jesus says something, Jesus says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to my father, but go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my father, your father, to my God and your God. Many times Mary must have touched Jesus, but yet he says, do not touch me, do not touch me. Why was he saying this? Why on this occasion was Jesus saying, do not touch me? To find the answer to that, we've got to go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 10. In the Old Testament, we're going to talk about the law first. And this is in Hebrews 10. It says the law is only a shadow of good things. Hebrews 10.1 The law is only a shadow of good things that are coming. Not the reality themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If they could, it would have stopped being offered. For the worshippers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. The sacrifice a priest had to bring on a yearly, annual basis, a lamb or some offering. And it would have to be presented, the blood of this lamb, which we talked about the Passover lamb, the blood would have to be taken and sprinkled on the mercy seat. On the mercy seat. But this was only a shadow. In one it says, the law is only a shadow of the good things to come. What good things to come? Jesus, the fulfillment of the shadow of what this represents. Because they've done it on a yearly basis. But it says if it had been sufficient, if it had done the job, what it was supposed to do, they would only have to do it once and then it would be finished. And they would have no more consciousness of sin. 
But this is why Jesus didn't leave Mary touching. He says, I have not yet gone to my Father. He was that lamb who was going to present himself to the Father. He was the sacrifice who was going to present himself to the Father. At the cross, when he says, it is finished, that word means it is paid for in full. It is finished, it is complete, it is paid for in full. That was on a Good Friday, Jesus says that. But this is Resurrection Sunday. This is Resurrection Sunday. And notice what he says, I have not yet appeared before my Father. Do not touch me. And yet after when he showed himself, he says, touch me. But that's after. But at this time, he had to fulfill something that was a shadow, a type, an image, a picture of a lamb without spot and blemish. So, if we look in 10, 10, 10, he set aside the first, which, which I was talking about, the first sacrifice, rituals, he set aside the first to establish the second. The second is something he's going to do. And by that, and by that, will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Once and for all. So this is a, this once and for all is once and for all, not another year. Not another sacrifice, not another ritual, but once and for all, he's saying what that picture was, was something that I'm fulfilling once and for all. You know, in the temple, in that place, when they sprinkled the priests, would sprinkle the blood on, an, on a yearly basis, they would do it. And if the Lord accepted it, the priests would come out. And then they would repeat it another year. That was on his shadow. There were all kinds of furniture in that place. All kinds of furniture. There was a candlestick. There was a, a table with bread on, representing different things. But what you wouldn't find there is a chair. You would never find a seat. And yet, it says in Hebrews, that Jesus appeared before the Father and he sat down at his right side. What's that mean? Is he tired? When you sit down, it means you finish. The priest could never sit down because he hadn't finished. He's going to make another sacrifice, another ritual, another sacrifice, another ritual. But it says in Hebrews, he sat down and if you remember when we were talking about the tomb it says the angel the angels one was at one end where his head would have been and one at his feet if you look at the old covenant the old covenant where God met there were two angels yeah. the ark of the covenant the ark of the agreement 
Now, them angels represent what's in heaven. When you see angels, it means the presence of God is there. And in between the angels would be the mercy seat, where that blood had to be shed. And this is what Jesus has fulfilled. He's offering himself to the Father and showing the blood has been accepted. The Father says, right son, sit at my right hand side. You finish. Is that a beautiful picture of the substance and the shadow we, are, we have got the reality? But notice it says, one was at his foot where his body was. This is in John, which we read earlier. And one was at his head. And it says that the linen was folded up and the head cloth was separate from the body cloth. <coughs> I remember Doug saying this, and I've read it as well. You do a bit of research when you. <laughs> when a carpenter finishes, or a craftsman finishes his job, and when he's finished, he'll fold up his cloth and lay it on top of the item. That's an all mark of a craftsman. When they seen, went to the tomb, Peter and John, and they seen it was folded up. That isn't just, why is he writing that? Why don't you say he's, he's risen? Because these are types and shadows of something more miraculous and wonderful that is a picture of something that's going to be fulfilled. And Jesus has fulfilled it. He folded it up because when he rises out of bed, he, he tidies his bed. <laughs> when he rises from the dead, he says, right, we're going to do this tidy. Is, is that just like the old mark of Jesus? He folded it up. The ark of the covenant was the same. The angels were there. One on the left, one on the right. And the mercy seat of blood. That was like the ark of the covenant. One angel was at the foot, one at the head. Don't miss it. These are beautiful truths that are there. God don't waste his words. See the beauty that God is confirming truth again and again and again through these things. It's not just written to fill the pages. This is written to fulfill prophecy. He was fulfilling something. Do not touch me. For I have not yet come to my Father. He is a sacrifice and he come before the Father. And the Father says, sit down. He finished, he's completed. Now we know he come back and he seen Thomas. Thomas. He seen the other disciple who says, Touch me. But notice he says, I'm going to my God. Tell the brethren, tell my brothers. And a beautiful one is Peter as well. On another gospel he says, And Peter. Remember, Peter denied him. But he wanted Peter to know, I still love you, Peter. Tell my brothers and Peter. Tell him. Make sure you get told, Peter. That's beautiful, ain't it? God is so good. Tell my brothers, I'm going to my God and their God, my Father and their Father. Why should he say that? You know why it says? Because Jesus wants to do something wonderful. It says he's the first fruit from the dead. 
What does that mean? The first fruit means of a different kind, never before. He is the first fruits of a different kind, never before. It says he's a life-giving spirit. Jesus says, I'm a girl, for if I go, it will be more beneficial for you. Now what he meant is that while I'm there, those who can earn my voice around there, in this room are benefiting, but what about, what about those who can't? For I'm only limited in this body. But when he rose from the dead, he had a different body, a resurrection body, which we're going to have the same one day, amen, amen. when we're glorified. So what God has done, by saying, go and tell him I'm going to my God and your God, my Father and your Father, he's brought us into the family. Because we're all God's creation, but we're not all his family. But what this was doing right now, he has brought us into his family. My God, your God. My Father, your Father. We look in Romans 6. This is amazing. Romans 6. God is amazing. I mean, this is incredible. Inside, I'm sure, you're backflipping. I know that your face is like that. I'm like that. I'm kind of trying to get in what Sid says, and I can look a bit. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, Christ is our redemption. Christ is able to make the sinner righteous. This is incredible. This is absolutely incredible. Because when a judge judges someone, he's going to punish the person according to the crime. Otherwise, he won't be a just judge. He's not fit to be a judge. That person's raped that woman and he's letting go. He shouldn't have let him go because that judge shouldn't be a judge. But in order for God to be just and to be righteous, someone has to be punished. For the wrong that has been committed. So who's going to pay the price? Jesus paid the price. Amen. Jesus paid the price. Put it this way. You owe a lot of money to the bank. You owe six grand to the bank. They want that money. You haven't got the money. They pay the money. Somebody, the banker says, I'm going to pay the money. You haven't got a debt now. But what happened? But what you have got, you're still broke. So what God does, it says, through his blood, we have the forgiveness of sins. Okay, we've been, we've been forgiven of our sins. But we're still not righteous. But through his resurrection, we are justified. So what the banker has done, I'll clear your debt and I'm going to put two million pounds in it, in your account. He's not only cleared your debt, this is God. God says, I ain't going to only forgive the sins. I want them to be righteous. I don't only want them to know I'm forgiven them. I want them to know that they are righteous. I haven't put glasses on so that they look righteous, that when I take them off, they, oh no, they're not. 
I want them to know that they are righteous. For the blood only forgave your sins, but it was a resurrection, it says, that justifies us, that's made us right. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we'd be forgiven, but we wouldn't be righteous. He had to rise to show that God has accepted the forgiveness, but he also wants us to be righteous. That every sin that was laid upon Jesus, how much time? Ten minutes. Every sin that was laid upon Jesus was your sin, my sin. It's God. He was condemned that you don't feel condemnation. He became a guilt offering so that you don't have to feel guilt. This is called the divine exchange. If any time you feel guilt, it's because you're looking at self. Remember I said self-consciousness is there to break you down. Because you're looking at your performance. You're looking at what I've, what I've got to do. And you realise you haven't met the standard. And that's what the Lord done. He condemned us. But what Jesus has done is incredible. Remember I said grace is not a subject, it's a person. And in Romans 6 it says we've been baptised into Christ. You know when Jesus died on that cross, you were there. You know when Jesus was buried, you were there. When Jesus rose, you were there. Tell my brothers. He says tell my brothers because he wants them to know if you're looking at Jesus as something that happened 2,000 years ago, isolated from me, you've missed the resurrection life. Because we're part of his body. It says, don't you know you have been baptised into Christ? Baptised means if I get a piece of cloth that is white and there's some red dye here, once I dunk it in, baptise it, submerge it fully into that substance and I'll pull it out, that substance will be through that cloth. The cloth becomes red. Yeah. We've been baptised into Christ. It's interesting because in that Romans 6, sin is a noun. It talks about sin being a noun. Sin is only mentioned, the verb, twice, doing sin. But it's a noun. A noun, people, a place or a thing. It's the dominion of sin. It's the, 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 the sphere of sin. He's delivered us from, he has brought us out to the domain of darkness, into the Son whom he loves. So what is it? He's brought us out of the influence of sin. Because when sin comes into the world through one man, Adam, it says, all the good things that we've done, we couldn't change because we were in that domain of sin. Even though we were doing good, giving to charity, we're still in the, the domain of sin. If I'm in England, everything I do, I'm still not in America. Because I'm, I'm walking here, I'm doing it, I'm laughing, singing, crying, dancing, eating, watching telly, but I'm still in England. So what? But if I go to America, the same things I'm doing there, but I'm not in England. I'm trying to get this sin that God's saying, is not the doing of sin, it's the influence and the power of sin that is over you, even though you're trying to do good. 
He's brought us out of darkness into his son, whom he loves. That's why he says you're baptized into Christ. So do not sin, because sin shall not have dominion over you anymore. Because you're not in sin. What do you mean sin? Not doing sin. It's not about the domain of sin. Your nature has been changed now. That you've got the divine nature of Christ inside of you. That before when you sin because you're a sinner, you are righteous now because you've got the righteous nature. You've got the nature of Jesus. That's why he says, go to my brothers and tell them I'm going to my God and your God and my Father and your Father. Because you've got the nature of Jesus now. Not the old nature of that man, which is a place or the thing. He's not talking about the, ver the, the verb of doing sin. He's talking about the very dominion of sin. And it says, sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not have dominion over you. It says also, reckon, count. What does it mean? Reckon and count. Romans 6. Just grasp this. I know I've got probably about five minutes to Okay, count this, Romans 6, I'm going to find Romans 6. I'll tell you, if you get this, if you get this, sin, it's over. You don't have to be an addict to anything. The only time it says, remember it says that the blood of bulls and goats made us conscious of sin, it couldn't take us, couldn't take the guilt away. But it says that the blood of Jesus takes away, the sprinkling of blood takes away the consciousness of sin. Yeah. Do you know what I just said? So if he's taking away the consciousness of sin, you're not conscious of sin, but you're conscious of the blood. Because when you're self-conscious, you're conscious of your ability and your lack of ability, and you realise you're not hitting the mark. And what we do, we go in a religious performance because we know that we haven't hit the mark and therefore we try to perform, which is called behaviour modification. But God isn't into behaviour modification, he's into transformation. And this is where I'm talking about we've been translated from that place that had dominion of us, over us, that when we were doing good, there was still something in me that wanted to do bad because that's my nature. But when you're born again, it means you're born into something totally new. You've been brought out of that authority, that dominion of sin into Christ. And you've got the nature of Christ. Is that good news? This is what the resurrection is about. Go to my brother. Go to, I'm going to your father and my father. Because he wants you to know you are a brand new creation. This is totally new now. Romans 6. Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. If, if, if you believe it, it's, we have, but it says if you believe this, if you know you've been united in his death, you've been baptised with him, you associate yourself with him, 
you recognise that that resurrection life is also part of you as well. And in 11, Romans 6, 11, likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. He is risen indeed, certainly to sin. Reckon means to count. It's an accountant to, when you reckon something up, you put the, the money in the right colour and that's the final figure is what it is. Reckon yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You have been translated out of darkness into the kingdom of light. Like I says, if you're conscious of yourself, you've gone back to the law. Because the law requires you to perform. Once you perform, you get blessed on what you have done. That was the law. But it says he's taken away the old to establish the new. That it's not the dead letter of the law, but the spirit, the spirit of his son. The first fruits. Remember I talked about the first fruits. When you're born again, it's incredible. Jesus says, unless someone is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. Unless he's baptised into the water and he knows the Son, he will not enter the kingdom. He won't know what the kingdom is. You can go to church, but it won't make you a Christian. If I went in a garage, you don't make me a car. Something has to happen. I've got to be translated from one place. And that now that was on about the sin in Romans 6 is talking about that it's a place. It's sin personified in your being. No matter what I do, I'm a sinner. So if I'm a sinner, no matter what I do, because I'm a sinner, all the good I do doesn't change me. But when God takes you out of that sin, Dominion and puts you in Christ Jesus into a different dominion. No matter what I do wrong, doesn't change me being righteous. If it works that way, it works the other way. Because Paul says, How much more now we have been saved? How much more? If while we were sinners in Adam and we sinned and we tried to do good and we couldn't change, how much more were we in Jesus? And if you mess it up, it still doesn't change your condition. This is good news. That's why I'm not sin conscious anymore. Because what it says in, in God's word, the power of Christ, my actions are only the fruit. What do you mean the fruit? That's only the outward manifestation. But that isn't my root. That isn't where I'm drawing from. My actions of being wanting to be good or doing good is because my very nature is in Christ and Christ is good. So therefore I'm acting good because my nature has changed. Not because I'm trying to be good, but inside I oh know I'm a sinner. Christians are not sinners. We are sometimes, we sometimes sin but we're not sinners. Those who are not Christians are sinners. That's why they sin. An apple tree grows apples. It cannot grow anything else. A Christian is righteous. So righteousness comes from him because not because he's trying to be righteous, it's because he's got the nature of Jesus who is our righteousness. 
This is why when Sid says, and I say, put on your heart and say, I'm the righteousness of God, you're not going through a dead ritual. Jesus says, I've come to fulfill something that when you say you're righteous, you're not trying to convince yourself you're something when you're not. You're telling yourself you are because of who he is. This is the righteousness. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When you read the book of Romans, you're going to see a lot in Christ. That's you. That's your death. That's your nature. Your nature has changed. I'm no longer a sinner. I am righteous. In my spirit, I am pure. My spirit knows all things because God is in me. And it says Jesus became a life-giving spirit. Why does it say Jesus become a life-giving spirit? Because now that life-giving spirit can come once you believe in Jesus, that spirit can live in you, Chris. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's the faith, and and, and, and is this ability, this, uh, this power release, it's released by faith. That's all. It's not by tingles. It's not by working it up. It's by reckoning. Count yourself dead to sin, but alive to Christ who is your life. That's why the resurrection is powerful. You can go to church, and there's some people going to church, and they don't know that the stones will be rolled away. But it's as if they're living Good Friday. Jesus is on the cross today. Oh, he suffered. Oh, he suffered. The pain, the pain, the pain. It says Jesus suffered so that we don't have to suffer. Jesus was condemned that we don't have to feel condemned. (coughs) Paul says, who will deliver me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? For the things I want to do, I find I don't do. But the things I don't do, I'm doing. He says, who? Not it. What formula? What ritual can I do? He says, what person? Grace is a person. But thanks be to God through Christ Jesus. There's no more condemnation. It's the person he recognises. It's not a, a formula. It's not you going on the three steps to getting it right. It's receiving him because he's your righteousness. Amen. And it's accessed by faith. We are saved by grace through faith. We are saved by grace through faith. Grace is a person. It's not an influence. It's accepting Jesus by faith and knowing, Lord, you says it, I believe it, it's going to happen. Any addiction, whatever it is, you says it will go because you've broken it. So therefore, you live in me by your spirit and by faith. I believe I'm righteous. I believe I'm not a drug addict. I believe I'm not someone who's held by porn. I believe that I'm someone who's not angry. I believe whatever it is, it's finished. It's gone. Jesus has set us free. And that's what he's come. He's not come to make you respectable. He's come to make you live. As I've said before, and we say it many times, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He come to make dead people live. For we were dead in our sins and trespasses. That's when Jesus died. Now reckon yourself 
alive in Christ. We've been baptised into him. That's why he says, tell my brothers. Tell them. Because he's brought us into the family. This isn't a social gathering. This is family business. This is family business. I am. Jesus is my brother. Jesus is my brother. And you know your big brother looks after him. You don't be touching me, I'll tell you about dealing with me. You ever get that? The big brother now, he looks after his kids. He looks after the little brothers. Praise God. He's wonderful. He's excellent. And it's really happened. Just capture this. I'm going to end on this. We haven't come to church. Church is over. If all it was, was church, it's a sad, sad thing. We were slaves in a prison called sin. In Romans 6 it says, but now we are slaves unto righteousness. <laughs> That's powerful, you know. We've been translated from that prison of sin. Now when I say that prison of righteousness, I don't mean anything that's something negative, but it's something positive, because Paul uses his term to try and give an illustration that your grass, if I'm in prison and I'm walking around, I'm still in prison. If I'm in prison, I'm reading the book, I'm in prison. I can't change my location. When I do things, it's not because I deserve it. It's because I'm qualified. You've been made righteous. If anyone says, you don't deserve that, I've worked harder than you. That person reckons he's earned it because of his, what he's doing. But I'm not getting something because of what I'm doing. I'm getting something because of what he's done. That person's conscious of his ability or lack of it. I'm conscious of God's ability and plenty of it. And he's my righteousness. That's why he says, count yourself. And what I want to do now, these spiritual seeds, I pray in the name of Jesus that won't be stolen. I pray that you're going to leave with a resurrection truth deeper than when you walked in. You haven't come to church, you are the church. There's a change of mentality. There's a shift that needs to happen. When you begin to look at God's word, it says it's living, it's powerful, and it's active. Reckon yourself to be dead to sin. Sin is not an issue. That's why it says sin is not an issue. Because you've been brought out of sin now. You are righteous. When you wake up in the morning, or if ever you make a mistake, go to the room and say, thank you, Lord, I'm righteous. So I'm stupid doing that. I've done that wrong. You have done it. Forgive me, Lord. Don't move on. And don't give me any consideration. Don't think about it. <coughs> because it says, the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience from all guilt. The blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience from all guilt. Where the blood of bulls and oxes couldn't do that, that they have to bring year after year. Right here in Druidsy, 
the most powerful thing is happening in all the world right now. And every born again believer is saying the same thing when you know who you are. See, it's not right doing, it's right believing. If you believe right, you will do right. That's the emphasis. Reckon yourself. If you're not believing right, you won't do right. You'll be trying to change your behaviour. And it's like a leopard trying to change his spots. What God has got to do is give us a new heart. And when you're born again, God gives you himself. And he gives you his heart. In Ephesians, it says that he has become to us righteousness and holiness. Or is it true, truly righteous? Or is, but he's become righteous and holiness. It says we are completing him in Colossians. We are completing him. Complete means the whole package. If I'm trying to dress up in order to be loved, it's saying I'm not loved. But he says we are accepted in the beloved. I don't want no one feeling that God has any think against them. God hasn't got nothing against you. God loves you. God likes you. And God is pleased with you. Because Jesus became a perpetuation. That means an appeasement of wrath and anger. Because God hates sin and he's angry against it, and I'm ending on this. Jesus <coughs> took John's sin, every one of them, every lie, that he would do all he's going to do, he took it. He took it. That's bad enough. But you think of your sin, he took that as well. Yeah. How many people on this earth? Six billion. Point, whatever. He took that as well. And a pituation means he became like a lightning rod. God's anger was poured down. God killed Jesus, not the Romans. They were on the instruments. It says it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to crush him, to smite him. It pleased God because God was doing something. He wanted you. You are God's reward. It says in Isaiah, he shall see the travail of his soul and be well pleased. Jesus is pleased. And when you're not pleased, you're saying what you've done on the cross isn't enough. That's why I'm saying don't be self-conscious, but be God-conscious. And you'll start liking yourself. And that's how the change happens. God isn't into behavior modification. Transformation starts with right believing, brings right living. Yeah. Any believers here? Yeah. I am not ashamed of the gospel, right. for it is the power of God. I'm not ashamed. Paul says it's the power of God. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is righteousness to those who are being saved. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this wonderful truth. We've been talking about the Passover land. We've been talking about the power that's in the blood of your Son. And we thank you right now that, Lord, we, 
we're given a deeper revelation of what happened on that resurrection Sunday when he says go to my brothers and tell them that I'm going to my God and your God and my Father and your Father. We thank you Lord we've been brought into the family of God. This isn't a religious institution, this isn't church. We are the church which means called out, separate. We thank you Lord that we are a peculiar people, we are unique. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world because you live on the inside of us. We thank you, Lord, that we are right now the righteousness of you, almighty God, in Christ Jesus. Amen. We thank you, Lord, that anything that would try and say otherwise, we bring it down in the name of Jesus because we count ourselves alive in you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Praise God.